Well, it has been said that there are two certain things in life. You all know what they are, right? Number one is what? Death. Number two, taxes. Death and taxes. This morning, I propose a third certainty in life. The associate slash assistant slash director preaching on the Sunday after Christmas. Every year. This morning, I have the privilege of joining associate assistant directors all over the world preaching God's truth this morning, and it is a joy to be here together. There are two types of people in the room this morning. Two types of people. Type number one are people that are depressed this morning. And you are depressed for one reason and one reason only. Because on Tuesday of last week, your family finally made you stop playing Christmas music. You drug it out as long as you could. And now your heart is a little bit sadder because your favorite holiday sounds are over. Then there are the other group of you. And the others of you are joyful this morning. Because now you don't have to hear Christmas music until at least Labor Day next year. And so regardless of what camp you fall in this morning, we're going to look at one last Christmas song together. And it's the third song found in Luke's narrative recounting the birth of Christ. And during the Sundays and Advent, Our sermon series was entitled Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we've looked at the names of God found in Isaiah 9, 6. Right? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we've been talking about how we can experience God in each of those individual ways. Experience Him through His name. And this morning, as we revisit the Christmas story one Last time, uh, it's a loaded message this morning because it's a mixture of joy, of hope, of fulfillment, and at the same time, a warning. And my prayer is that we will see that the Christ child born in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago demands a response. That once you encounter Jesus, you can't stay neutral. And so the big question I want us to think about together this morning is, what is your response to the Christ child? From Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 35. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. That he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. 
And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Amen. This is God's word. This morning I want to look at three parts of what is known as the Song of Simeon. Three different parts. The scene, the singer, and the song. And again, we're asking ourselves this morning, what do we do with the Christ child? What is our response to the Christ child? And so if you look at verses 22 through 24, the scene, Luke is setting the scene for us. And if you think about Luke's gospel, it's, he's writing a historical account of the life of Christ. And so the details are important. And so if we look at verses 22 to 24, it's really, really, really easy for us to just skip over that part, right? Because we don't really understand exactly what they're talking about. It's probably not that big of a deal. So let's just move on past this whole purification saying, what, what's going on here? But it's crucial and it's a really big deal. And so for in order for us to understand it, we have to ask, what would this have meant to Luke's original audience? What would the original hearers of Luke's letter have learned from this? And you learn it, the first thing you learn is that Mary and Joseph were devout. Right? They were obedient to the laws of Moses. And they ensured that Jesus was as well. And the second thing we see Luke doing is he's summarizing three separate ceremonies that are taking place, right? The first ceremony is the purification ceremony, which involved the wife 40 days after birth. And the second ceremony is the presentation of the firstborn to the Lord. And then the third is the dedication of the firstborn to the Lord's service. And in giving these details, we've got to dive in a little bit deeper, but in giving us these details... Luke's audience would immediately recall some themes to mind. And several of those, those themes, specifically with the presentation of the firstborn, would bring to mind the Passover, the original Passover out of Exodus 12. If you remember, God commands, God, God takes the newborns, he kills all the firstborns, but he spares Israel if they spread the blood of a lamb over their doorpost, and he passes over them. And then later, as a result of the Passover, God called Israel to consecrate all their firstborn to him. And the place of death God was willing to accept, not accept, was from the tribe of Levi, right? And so what God did for them, as opposed to that, he said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to give me lifelong service. If you were from the tribe of Levi in the temple, Right? And from the firstborn of the, all the other tribes, because they weren't Levites, five shekels would be paid. 
as a symbolic offering. And so Jesus was not a Levite. He wasn't from the tribe of Levi. And so his parents would have paid during this presentation five shekels to essentially redeem him, right? To buy him back, so to speak. And Luke's readers would have understood this. And so this this passage kind of oozes themes of Passover and redemption. And it makes us stop for just a moment and think that was the ransom fee paid at this time that Luke points out, though he doesn't mention the theme, it's, it's, in, it's understood from this, was that ransom fee pointing to an even greater ransom fee to come from Jesus. Because Jesus was a firstborn, but Luke is making it clear that he was a different firstborn. And so get a picture here. All right, Mary and Joseph, and they're on their way up to the temple. They're on their way to the temple, and they're holding their baby. Just picture this in your mind. They're holding their baby. And as they're walking in, this old saint comes out of nowhere. And he gently stops you. He stops them. And he asks to see their baby. And then he asks to hold him. And as he holds this newborn child, he bursts forth with song. And then he blesses Mary and Joseph, and then he quietly exits the scene. So who is the singer? We don't know a whole lot about the identity of Simeon, and there's a lot of speculation. But what we do know is that he was from Jerusalem, that his name was Simeon. And in verse 25 and 26, as we look at the passage, we learn several things about who is this guy, Simeon. And the first thing it says is that he was righteous, right? That he was conforming his life to God's expectations, that he lived in a right relationship with God, and that he was devout, right? That he had a reverent fear for God. He took God's promises serious, and that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And so we get the picture, not of a rigid, dutiful, heartlessly old man who obeys the rules and the laws because that's the way you should or you have to. But we get a picture of this, this old man who is delighted in his relationship with God. Because you have to remember, things weren't good for Israel during this time, right? The time of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, I mean, they just, Israel just lost their political independence. Right? You think about the tyrant King Herod, things aren't going real well with him, right? You've got this legalistic religious system with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and you've got, as far as Israel's history, 400 years of silence from the prophets. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all that doesn't sound very good, Luke lays out these people that in the midst of darkness are shining as beacons. And so we hear stories of Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and now Simeon. But the passage goes on to tell us that, that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. 
The consolation that Simeon was waiting for here is not political deliverance. He's waiting for Israel's renewal, for Jerusalem's redemption, for the coming of God's kingdom. He's waiting for the Messiah. And Israel had been waiting a long time, right? Been waiting since when? Genesis 3, all the way back in the garden. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, right after Adam and Eve sin, God enters the scene, and what does he do? He promises a redeemer in Genesis 3.15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring. He's talking to Satan. He's talking to the snake. Between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your heel, head, but you will bruise his heel. And the, I love the way the NIV puts it because it says, he will crush your head. You'll strike him, Satan. You'll you'll strike the one I'm sending. But he's going to destroy you. And so ever since Genesis, Israel's been waiting for this Redeemer. And they're waiting, waiting. The Old Testament is full of promises to Abraham and to David and to the prophets that the Messiah is coming. And so like so many in the Old Testament, Simeon is waiting And in verse 26, it tells us that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so he's clinging to a promise that he would see the Christ child. And so he waited and he watched. And if you get home today, I would encourage you to go look up uh, online, Google Rembrandt's Simeon's song of praise. It's a beautiful picture. And if you've ever seen that picture before, when you look at it, notice his eyes. Because he just depicts this old man holding a child. And you look at his eyes and he's almost blind. And it kind of gives you this idea of, of someone who's been watching. Watching so intently. Watching for so long. And waiting. And as we look at Simeon, there's something magnetic about him. And I think if I'm honest, I'm, je- I'm jealous. I'm jealous of this guy because here's a man who is obedient to God's law, who listens to the Holy Spirit, who is holy and devout and calm and patient. And I'm like, I'm none of those things. But here is a man who is. But the moral of this story is not, Go be like Simeon. But if there's any message that we hear from Simeon's life, it's trust in the one to whom Simeon was searching. And so that's who Simeon is. And then as he's holding this child, he proclaims a song. Verses 29 to 32. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people, Israel. Song of Simeon is is famously known as Nunc Dimittis. That's Latin for now dismiss. Lord, now dismiss your servant. And so like a watchman whose job is, is complete. He can leave his assigned post. And just like that, his waiting is over. His search 
is ended. God's word has been fulfilled to him. And he is at peace. And in his song, he tells us not only that he's at peace, but he tells us a a little bit about who this child is. That he's a light to the Gentiles. Right? And if you think about in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, there's all these passages that say the Messiah is not just for the Jews, but he's coming for the Gentiles as well. A light to the nations and the glory of Israel. And I think that the reason this scripture resonates with us is that the peace that Simeon has found is a peace that, if we're honest, we're all searching for. Think about it. What one thing do you feel like if you had this, that you could die in peace? What is it for you? Money? Love? Power? Respect? A perfect family? What are you searching for? Because it's not a question of if we're searching. But what are we searching in? You see, we're created to be in a right relationship with God. But when sin enters, that relationship is broken. And so we are desperately, desperately trying to get it back. To fill that void. And Blaise Pascal is is credited for saying that there's a God-shaped vacuum. In the heart of every man, which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. We're searching to fill that void. Right? I often thought so clearly about a shape sorter, and I know that you guys. If you don't have small children, it's been a while since you've seen one of those. But we have shape sorters at my house. And there's these boxes, right, where the circle goes in the circle and the square goes in the square. And you watch as a toddler takes the circle and tries to cram it in the square. And it does not work. And oftentimes they just throw it away and they go on and do something else, right? But you watch that and it's a picture of our hearts. Because so often we know there is a hole. There's a void. There's an emptiness. It's a God-shaped void. And so often we try to take these other pieces and fill that void and fill that emptiness. And we try and we try. And if it doesn't work, we throw it away and we try the next one, next one. And it doesn't work because it wasn't intended to work. It is only through a relationship with Christ are never, never find peace. There's not enough money. There's not enough power. There's not the perfect family. There's not the perfect situation. There's never enough to bring peace until we allow God to fill that hole. And so Simeon finishes his song, but not his message. Because he hands the baby back to his parents. And as he hands the child back, verse 33 says, And the father and the mother marveled at what was said about him. Marveled. Can you imagine being Mary and Joseph? They've had a lot of marveling going on at this point, right? I mean, 
This is big stuff. Now here, this guy comes out of nowhere. Marveled at what was going on. And then in 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And so what that shows us is that Jesus is a major disruption. And he speaks that intimate line there to Mary that says his his life is going to hurt you. And yet he's speaking in broader terms as well. Because we see that Jesus not only disrupts his mother's life, but he disrupts all of our lives. Because he's appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. That Jesus is a fall to those who reject him. And yet a rising to those who receive him through faith. And that he exposes our hearts and he exposes our minds. That's why we started this morning with the question, what is your response to the Christ child? Because when we encounter Jesus, it demands a response. You say, why does it demand a response? Well, Pastor Abraham Chobe points out for two reasons. Number one, that the story of Jesus means that we're actually sinners. It shows us that if this is what it took to get us back, if this is what it took for Jesus to do to get us back, then our condition was infinitely worse than we could have ever imagined. Just think about that. This is not some just fairy tale. It's not a good story to be watched on a movie screen. It's a story that we're being called up into. And so if it took God becoming man and taking up a cross, then we are way worse off than we ever thought possible. And so those of us here this morning that see ourselves as generally good people, the message of Christmas is quite devastating. Because for all the happiness and the joy of a sweet little baby born in a manger, the reality of the message is is that why did he come? He had to come. Because we had no way back to God. And so we have to realize that that is what it took to get us back. But then the second thing that it shows us is that there is good news that we are on a search for a God who wants to be found. That we have a God who left heaven to find us because he loved us. Those of us who are prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love, that we have a God who says, I know you're prone to wander but I want you bad. And the only way for me to get you is to come to you. See, we can never work our way up like every other religion in the world. It says you have to work your way up to karma or to to, to the pinnacle of perfection in order for you to have this relationship with God. And Christianity is the only religion in the world where God says, 
No, no, no. You can never work your way up. I have to come down off the mountain and get you. And so that is good news for us this morning. That heaven came to earth to bring us back to a relationship with God. And he is a God who didn't just come to get his hands dirty. But he got his hands bloody. That's how much he loved us. And so this morning, what is your response to the Christ child? Maybe you're here and for the first time, you're beginning to understand the weight of your sin and what Christ has done for you. And if if that's you this morning, I would love to talk to you more about that. Please come find me after the service and we can talk more about what it means to follow Jesus. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for your life? And you're here this morning. You've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. Begin this new year reminded of God's love for you in Christ. That while the Christmas story is devastating because it shows our sin, the Christmas story shows just how much you are loved. In spite of all the things that you didn't get done last year, right? You realized a week ago, man, I got 40 pounds to lose by next week and I am not going to be able to pull this one off. Right? In spite of all the broken things, in spite of all the failures, that Jesus came for failures. And so be encouraged this morning. Be empowered this morning as you think ahead to this new year, as you make plans for this new year and a new day. Be encouraged by the fact that you have a Savior who left everything for you. And set that as a priority on your heart and your mind this new year.